0: Welcome back to another Adam Schefter podcast. And on this week's podcast, we will be joined by Gotham Chopra, the man that directed the new ESPN Plus docuseries, Man in the Arena, Tom Brady. It's a series that features Brady and other notable figures deconstructing the milestones of Tom Brady's legendary career. And then we'll be joined by Mike Ford of Sportsology, a U.S. and European-based company that assists sports owners build and reconstruct their teams as the NFL teams will be doing some of those same things here over the course of the next couple of months. And of course, we will look ahead to week 11, which culminates on Monday Night Football with Tom Brady struggling along right now, going up against the New York Giants. And it's interesting how all things come back to Tom Brady here because the week starts with the man that essentially is trying to succeed Tom Brady in New England, Mac Jones. And it's interesting that Mac Jones has begun to take the steps needed to look like so far the most impressive rookie quarterback of the five rookie quarterbacks taken in the first round of the draft. That doesn't mean he will be the best quarterback of the group, but to date he has probably been the best quarterback so far and the Patriots are rolling along. And isn't it interesting that they had the foresight and the vision, not surprisingly, To move on from Cam Newton before the season began, to clear all decks, to essentially hand the job to Mac Jones and say, you are our quarterback, you are our guy, to lead us forward, and that has begun to pay dividends. We'll see whether that pays off on Thursday night against Atlanta as the Patriots kick off week 11 in Atlanta, but Mac Jones so far has looked like the goods. And think back to when San Francisco traded up to the third overall spot last year, and people thought that there was a real good chance that they would take Mac Jones. I thought that. I think the 49ers thought that. I know they thought that before they changed their minds. And Mac Jones has validated why so many people thought he had the chance to be a really strong NFL quarterback, which is what he has looked to be so far. And the man that Mac Jones beat out in New England. This week, looks like he's poised to make his first start back in Carolina since the Panthers re-signed him. The Panthers are preparing Cam Newton to start Sunday's game, fittingly enough, against the former Panthers head coach, Ron Rivera. Amazing how these things all just continue to tie together. But Cam Newton came in, didn't know much of the playbook on Sunday at Arizona, but as he himself said, he knew two touchdowns worth of the playbook, and he helped inspire and lead the Panthers to an upset victory over the Cardinals in what was yet the latest NFL upset in two weeks that were really filled with them. Over and over, we have seen teams that essentially were not considered viable contenders knock off first-place teams. It has continued to happen. And before we get to Tom Brady on Monday night, some of the matchups and storylines that we have heading into this weekend, we have the Colts at Buffalo, a rematch of last season's wild card playoff game that the Bills won 27-24 in Buffalo. Indy's going back to Buffalo, and we know what the Colts coach Frank Reich has meant to that franchise. Remember, he was the Bills' backup quarterback from 1985 to 94, led that great comeback win over the Houston Oilers in the playoffs. Frank Reich goes back to Buffalo with his team. We get the Ravens and Bears. Ravens coming off a disappointing loss. Ravens are 1-2 and in their last three games. After opening up 5-1 and time for Baltimore, you would think, to try to get back on track and keep in mind that John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, and Matt Nagy, the Bears coach, are both Andy Reid disciples, with Harbaugh having worked for Reed on the Eagles and Nagy under him with the Eagles and the Chiefs. We get the Packers and Vikings. Aaron Rodgers, 15-9-1 against the Vikings in his career, including the playoffs, but only four, five, and one in his last 10 starts. Minnesota coming off an inspirational win over the Chargers. They'll look to be primed at home. The Vikings are only two and two at home this year, averaging 18 points per game in those games. And this is their only home game in a five-week stretch. We get the Saints and Eagles. An interesting matchup. Two teams trying to figure out their quarterback situations. Looks like Jalen Hurts has taken hold of that Eagles job. Jalen Hurts' first career start last year, remember this, was against the Saints in week 14. And he and the Eagles won that game 24-21. But the Eagles are 0-4. At home this season, Philadelphia fans cannot be happy with that. This will be another chance to get their first home win this season. We mentioned Cam Newton going up against his former team, assuming that Cam Newton is going to start with his former coach, I should say, in Ron Rivera. This is Ron Rivera's return to Carolina, where he was the Panthers head coach from 2011 to 2019. He's got the most wins in franchise history. He faced his former team in Washington in week 16 last year. Panthers won 20 to 13, but now he's going back to Carolina. I would imagine he gets a rousing ovation. Two great games Sunday afternoon. Cowboys at Kansas City. Love that matchup. Would anybody be shocked if that turned out to be a Super Bowl preview? Dallas, Kansas City. I know Kansas City, people thought that they've struggled, but they're back on track. They've won their last three games. Patrick Mahomes looked like the real deal again on Sunday night. And this is Patrick Mahomes' first career start against the Cowboys. They're one of two teams he's never played against, with the Vikings being the other. And this is Dak Prescott's second career start against the Chiefs. He led the Cowboys to a 28-17 win over Kansas City in week nine of 2017. The other afternoon, matchup Sunday, great one. Cardinals, Seahawks. We'll see if Kyler Murray makes his way back. And it's an interesting spot because Arizona has a bye next week. So it would not surprise me if they rest DeAndre Hopkins one more week, allow him to get his hamstring well before they have him for the stretch run. Kyler is further along in his recovery from a sprained ankle. We'll see if he makes it back in time for the big game against the division rival Seahawks. Sunday night, Pittsburgh at L.A., Chargers struggling at home last week. Pittsburgh Steelers, you would think, would have Ben Roethlisberger back in that game. And then Monday night, as we mentioned, Tom Brady on Monday Night Football, Where he has an 18 and 8 record in that spot going up against the New York Giants. We know what the New York Giants have meant to Tom Brady in his career. They've just wounded him in the Super Bowl. And so Tom Brady will be back in action uh, Monday night football against the New York Giants. And like I said, it all seems to kind of fit together, right? Mac Jones in New England starts the week. He's the man that's trying to essentially take over for Tom Brady after beating out Cam Newton, who probably is going to make his first start. And then the week, winds up with Tom Brady as the new ESPN Plus docuseries Man in the Arena Tom Brady debuts on ESPN Plus this week. And so we figured that the man to talk to this week would be the man that directed that series, the director, the man from Religion of Sports, Gotham Chopra, who has essentially worked with Tom Brady in the past. He's worked with Kobe Bryant in the past, and now he's put together episodes on tom brady's super bowl appearances beginning with super bowl 36 the season that tom brady took over as quarterback for the new england patriots after drew bledsoe suffered that injury the man that really knows brady about as well as anybody here gotham chopra gotham hey man how are you nice to be with you i appreciate taking the time
1: yeah no i'm looking forward to it a big admirer of yours so
0: Well, I'm an admirer of yours and your family. And I have to say that back in the day when I was working for the Denver Post, I would have a weekly column called Know Him from Adam. Uh One of the greatest interviews that I ever did for that particular column, most enjoyable insightful interviews was with your father, Deepak Chopra.
1: Amazing. I had no idea because, you know, it's so fascinating because I mean, I know you as, you know, Adam Schefter, NFL insider. Like, my dad is the least football like savvy person ever. So, like, I would not have put that together. I didn't know about the pre- your previous life.
0: And, in fact, before I signed on to talk with you today on this podcast, I did a Google search to see if I could find it. It was with the Denver Post. I could uh-huh. not. It was that okay. long ago that I yeah. don't even know that it exists on the internet. But I remember – being blown away at your father's wisdom. And I guess we'll get to some of that after, but more important, more to the point is the series that you have coming out. Now the show is called, it starts on ESPN plus the series called man in the arena. Tom Brady, first episode available to ESPN plus subscribers Tuesday, November 16th with new episodes posting weekly on Tuesdays. It'll also be a weekly podcast and you are the director of it, right? Director of religion. I mean. How how do we say this, Scott? And you tell me. So
1: Religion of Sports is a company that I co-founded with Tom and, and Michael Strahan. We produced it, the company, and then I directed it.
0: So how did you get involved with Tom and Michael? What's the backstory there?
1: the backstory goes back to working actually originally with kobe bryant whose jersey you can see i'm a boston kid i grew up in new england i grew up in boston so like working with kobe was like i was used to joke was like these philistines the lakers that i was sort of a part of for but you know i worked with kobe I, i live in los angeles now tom used to spend his off seasons as i think a lot of people know just you know not far from me here or 10 minutes from where i live And having grown up in Boston, being a diehard Patriots fan, living through the early part of the Tom Brady, like I met him in 2015. I was just thinking about this. And, you know, I have always been a huge fan, not just of the Patriots, but, you know, Bruins, Celtics, um, Red Sox, but sports in general. And I've always seen it through the lens of like, sports are bigger than just the scores, the records, the accolades, all that stuff. You mentioned my dad, like I grew up around these sort of spiritual traditions, wisdom traditions, and I always used to say sports is a religion. Sports, if you're a believer, if you're a fan, you know it, you feel it. And then when I met Tom and I like this is kind of what he and I talked about, he was like, no, I get it, man. I know what it's like to sit at the epicenter of of a religion in New England. And also just, you know, sports for athletes is so much about performance, peak performance, human potential. So like, this is just like the, that was the sort of foundation of religion of sports, which sounded, which started as a television show, but then that I convinced Tom and Michael to sort of be a a part of, but then it evolved into a company and they've just been sort of brothers in that journey. You know, they just always believed in me and the mission. Um, But we didn't have like a big business plan. It was just like, this is the way we love sports and we want to tell great stories. And, you know, Tom's like still living the story. Um, So it's just been fun to really, you know, work with him.
0: So did Tom have all this footage from each of the Super Bowl experiences and victories that he had? How did you go about doing this project? Well, so
1: over time, I've just, you know, become really good friends with Tom and gotten to know his family Tom, as we all know, has, you know, a lot of houses in a lot of different places, those moving, he's always coming across, yeah, like just archives, you know, stuff, video, VHS stuff from back in the day, cell phones with, you know, footage captured on it. And he just, I just You know, I think over the last few years, we've all watched like The Last Dance. And when I saw The Last Dance, I wasn't like thinking, oh, we should do that. I was just thinking like, man, like they had all that footage. It's the only reason they could do that. So I want to get my hands on that. So I just became almost like this caretaker of like footage for the Brady family, got to know his dad, you know, his sisters, and just sort of became this place where they felt comfortable, fortunately. And yeah, and then as we started to think about it and just talk about it, you know, as I asked Tom just in conversation, tell me about like those days back then, stories about that. And I just as you know, I'm a storyteller. So as he started to do that, I was like, man, like we just need to to do this. So that's how it started.
0: Now, didn't you do the series with him on Facebook, Tom vs Time? Right. Yeah. Now it's yours too.
1: Yeah, that was mine. So, that look, that was an interesting season. 2017 culminated in 18, you know, another great run at a Super Bowl, but a lot going on that year, as you know, just in his life, on the team, all of that sort of stuff. So, that was very focused on a year. But as part of that, I do think Tom was that just phase of his life. There was a lot of like thinking and reflecting, like, where am I? How did I get here? What do I want going forward? And so he, you know, just, was talking a lot about that. Now, that was like very much about that year, that show. But I was like, interesting, <laughs> like, you know, his reflections on these things that he learned across time. And, you know, that's again, I just like, I'm that guy in his ear, like, hey, man, like, maybe we should do this, you know? And so, and I've always had a great relationship with ESPN. So it just started organically that way.
0: Jonathan, would you say that this is the last dance version of? Tom's career is that what this is I mean
1: I think it's easy to say that in one sense because it's a spectacle right like this is a 10-part series that was a 10-part series it's a big deal it's Tom Brady it's Michael Jordan but from an actual storytelling perspective it's pretty different actually because look they had the luxury of 30 years of perspective like a lot of time had passed and Michael you know who was driving that could really sort of reflect on that this is like Tom's Very much still in it. I mean, it's what's amazing is the twenty-year story. So when you're talking about 2001, like him arriving on the scene, it is a long time ago, and yet there's something very present because he's still doing it. And we we are still producing episode ten because it just happened, you know. And I joke with him. I'm like, should we be getting a jump on episode eleven right now? Because so he operates. From this really interesting place where on the one hand it's a long time ago and you can tell when he's talking about those i'd say those first three super bowls there's a wistfulness in him because it's just like a different person but and yet at the same time i see him literally watching some of the cuts because he's very involved and he's like oh interesting that seam route i threw to like Jermaine Wiggins, he's like, you know, maybe O.J. Howard could run, like he is tinkering. He's like this mad scientist Wow. kind of, and you know, he's what a body of work. He can look at two tight end sets with Gronk and Hernandez. He can be like, oh, interesting. Or, you know, Mike Evans kind of reminds him of David Givens. It's just like, it's this football masterclass that, you know, we've sort of created. And I see him like he's actively taking bits and pieces and applying it, you know, to this season.
0: Do you ever see that show up on a Sunday where you have been going? Yeah, to he tells head? me. He's like, did you recognize that? Like, you know,
1: he's definitely, and look, some of it's playbook stuff, but I think a lot of it's just cultural stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Tom is so, look, you know him and you, you've you watched him for so long. There's a physical aspect we know about pliability and TV 12 and hydration and all that avocado ice cream, all the stuff, but Really, what I find is like Tom's mental and emotional, like there's really nothing in his life, no choice, no decision he makes that isn't about like, "Hmm, how's it going to help me perform on Sunday? And so I think that's like the biggest thing he's as he's looking back again, you go back to those early teams, you know, episode, I think um, three is with Mike Vrabel and uh, Teddy, Teddy Bruski. And they had this thing that they called each other the edgers. They had this culture on the team of pushing guys right to the edge. Like, how do you motivate each other? And as much as the Patriots and Belichick had created a culture, it was the players that were really like driving each other. And it was the guy right next to you in the locker room that was pushing you. And I can see these are the types of things the seams running the seam and too tight and that's kind of fun and you can kind of see it but i actually think it's more that like mental and emotional aspect he's like oh yeah i know how i have to motivate these guys or how to try anyway and
0: i think that's been the part that's sort of fun to watch so how involved is he in this actual series where you're putting together each of these segments like is he sitting with you through those edits like you're talking about what is he doing what's his role with you So he's, I mean,
1: Tom's very trusting of me. I mean, that's been the amazing evolution of our collaborative partnership. Um, We do, we did, I mean, this is, this project's two years in the making, right? And and with a pandemic right in the middle of it. And so um, early, like we do all the interviews for the most part in the off season when he has more time, because as we all know, Tom's about this season. He doesn't want to be distracted. I will say like he watches cuts. He doesn't sit in the edit room or anything like that but he he will watch cuts because I think he enjoys it. It's like, you know, watching like this sort of story of your life. And then he'll come back and be like, "Hey, so that thing, you know, in two thousand and three, I want to talk more about such and such or so and so. um and or he'll have a take, like, you know, I don't know that thing. He just he just has, you know, it's his life. It's his it's called man in the arena. You know, which is I think to me, it's like one of the important things, again, going back to your last dance, like, This isn't the dynasty, which, you know, is like the definitive history of the New England Patriots. It's not, you know, your colleague, Seth Wickersham's, which was like more reporter driven. This is Tom's point of view. Um, We're not shy about that. He's not, you know, he talks endlessly about all of his teammates and, you know, all the different people that influenced him. He definitely throws a lot of praise outward, but it really is him, his story. And I think that's like an important distinction. Like we didn't set out to do the definitive history of the New England Patriot dynasty. Um, So it's been fun. And he is very involved. I mean, you know, I'm I'm talking to him on a regular basis about, you know, where we are in the process.
0: You know, here's an idea. And maybe you know this already. But whenever his last year is in 2029 or 2041 Mm -hmm. or whatever it may turn out to be, you need to have that entire year documented like a last dance.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'm down there with him every few weeks down in Tampa, and actually, I've been doing this since probably you know um, 2000 since Tom versus Time, because again, we got into such a comfort level, and not look the way we do things is is very intimate, very like I know Tom's family, I know his wife really well, gone to know his kids and everyone around him, and so you know we're capturing stuff, but not in a big you know documentary way with boom mics and everything, because Tom's very much like bro. I'm about this season. I do not need distractions. And I found that way. So I'm I'm down there. I'm on it, you know, because I agree. I mean, look, it's a it's a it's bigger than football. It's bigger than sports. Like what he's doing is
0: it's, it's history. It's something that people will look back on. Like, how cool would it be today if we had a look back at the last season of Jim Brown or Barry Sanders or John Elway or Dan or you picked the player? right? Some great NFL, and this is the greatest player doing things at an age that that no one's done it.
1: Adam, some of the stuff I witnessed last year as it was happening, because Tom even, you know, I remember at the beginning of last season, ESPN was like, hey, should we be talking about, because there's a nine part series when we set this up, nine Super Bowls, they were like, should we be talking about number 10? And early in the season, September October, there was like a really bad game against New Orleans where they got their asses kicked. And I was talking to Tom, I was with Tom, like, you know? And I was like, no, because I was saying, no, we don't need to worry about episode 10 because Tom was kind of like, no, we do not need, trust me. I know how this goes. And then November and December and what we all watched and it was like, it happened right in front of us. And I mean, that story, like, you know, it just, It was incredible. Now, mitigating circumstances with the pandemic and stuff like that. So I actually think this year is really interesting because the playing field is a lot more level. Um, But, you know, so it'll be interesting. But every year
0: is interesting. Gotham, when you're putting this together, my job is to come up with stories, tell stories, information, whatever it may be. And I always love when I come up with something that I go, what? What? Like, I can't believe this. How often do you stumble? into information or stories like that with Tom, that even as a Boston guy, a diehard Patriots fan that you are, you still say, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's just, there's little anecdotes. I would say
1: not even like the, it's hard to find as you know, the big dramas, they're out there. Like everyone yeah. has talked, especially with this team, you know, um, in this organization but there's little things like tom will say oh yeah this happened in the afc championship or even i there's i'm not remembering i think it's like in the second season but he you know what i love about the early part is tom was like a very hungry and willing protege bill belichick was like his master you know like it's like the story of star wars and he was sucking up all of this information and i think we've like nfl films has amazing stuff right so we've seen probably like tom sitting you know late at night in bill's office going through tape and tom tells these stories about bill would say hey listen this thing's going to happen in the game. Two blitzers are going to come off the side. You're not going to see it. You're not even going to have enough time. But I'm telling you, Troy Brown's going to be you know, running a post and it's going to be open. And Tom will be like, yes, yeah. so I'm like in the game. And I see these two blitzers coming off the side. I'm like, oh, shit, it's happening. Like, you know, and he's like, I can't see. Like, but I just like Bill said he's going to be there. So he throws it and he's like, Troy comes down with it. And it's like those little things like nerdy football things are just and just like inside that relationship, you know, was I just would be like amazing. And then you can go find the footage because it's there, you know, like you can find it. So it's that sort of stuff pops up every once in a while.
0: Um, That's pretty fun. And people have made so much of the relationship with Belichick that you're saying that he took all that information from him. So how could it be that they that they're at odds the way that some people have portrayed it? Like. Publicly, they've sounded such a healthy note of respect for each other and admiration for each other. And yet there continue to be these little subplots that there are some issues and friction, whatever it may be.
1: Oh, look, I've certainly learned over time never to speak for Tom, like, you yep. know, like never to. Um, but I will say, I know from firsthand account, like when you watch this series, there is so much Belichick love in it, you know, just in recognition there you, go. See, there of, you like go. of what he meant to him across his career. People change, these are two alpha personalities. 20 years, you know, I will say, you know, Tom can answer like, you know, the age old debate, Belichick, Brady, all that sort of stuff. I say to Tom all the time, look, he proved it last year. He can win a Super Bowl in a different culture, but to win or compete in nine across 20 years, that is all of the above. That does not happen with Bill, without Bill, Tom and Mr. Kraft, RKK, like that culture that they built, that institution required all three legs of the stool. Now, personal dynamics, you know, time goes by, tensions, all that stuff. Look, that's how long have you worked at ESPN? This happens in organizations. It's not easy. The fact that they actually lasted that long and had that much success, incredible. Like That's the, the version that we talk about a lot.
0: What do you hope will be people's takeaway, Gotham, when they watch this series? And I'm sure it's going to be enormously viewed and widely popular. But what do you think, what do you hope will be people's takeaway from watching this?
1: You and I and probably most of the people watching this will love it. I mean, it's true. It's an amazing sports story. It's, you know, if you're an NFL fan, it's the, you know, obviously, I hope I don't sound too arrogant. It's amazing. You're going to love this thing (laughs) But when I actually take a step back, I'm like, this is so much bigger than sports. This is a story about a man across 20 years, this kid who comes in, 199th pick we know all of the mythology but he's really just a kid and you look at him now and you know like I think at the first end of the first episode he's sort of wistful and he's talking about you know perspective and progress but he literally the last lines of the first episode is him saying and I'm effing still doing it you know and it's just like oh my god it's still happening like we are living through him with him you know and that's the beauty too it's like I have so many friends in my life, people who've worked on the series who are like, you know, Jets fans and Steelers fans and non-football fans, and they're like, Tom Brady, love him or hate him, has been a part of my life for 20 plus years at this point. And I don't know, there's something really, I think that's the thing, we're, we're watching something almost in real time, but we're getting to look at like the origin story of how it
0: happened. And I think that's that's really fun for viewers. Hey, Gotham, I really appreciate taking some time today. Yeah, likewise. It's a lot of fun. For it's me. it's it's neat to get to talk to you. I've heard your name so often. I've never had the pleasure and honor to speak with you. I know this is going to be a great series. I can't wait to watch it. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. And hopefully we'll get the chance to talk again sometime. And hopefully one day we get a chance to meet here. And there is Gotham Chopra, who I'm very thankful took the time to meet with us today. His new ESPN Plus series, Man in the Arena, Tom Brady, now available on ESPN Plus. Tune in. I'm sure it's going to be fascinating. And before we get to our next guest, Mike Ford, just want to share a story about Monday night in San Francisco. As I'm standing on the field doing Monday night countdown, I noticed some of the 49ers front office members, and I was standing with them, and they brought me over and introduced me to a green beret named Jason Wood. I don't think I've ever met and had the honor to meet a green beret in my lifetime. And I got to shake his hand and took some pictures together. And when he was leaving, Jason Wood handed me this big oversized coin that's the size of, let's just say, a hockey puck. And on it, it says, to our enemies, we come bearing death. Serpent 72. And on the back, 7th Special Forces Group Airborne, 2nd Battalion. Jason Wood, man, what an impressive guy. And what a cool thrill to get to meet a Green Beret. So I just want to cite Jason Wood and call him out before we get to our next guest, a man by the name of Mike Ford. And Mike is the founder of Sportsology, a global advisory and executive search business that works with sports franchises and owners across the globe, assisting them building, restructuring, repurposing their teams. And we figure that with the NFL's Firing and hiring cycle about to heat up, and with teams about to look for new men to lead their organizations, it'd be worth spending some time with Mike Ford of Sportsology, the US and European based company. Mike Ford. All right, Mike, we are about to head into what I like to refer to as hunting season. Hunting season begins around Thanksgiving. That's the time that you begin to see NFL teams make head coaching changes. Subsequently, it's followed up by general manager changes. This is your business. You get to observe what teams do and don't do, what they do and don't do right, how to behave. You have consulted with sports franchise owners across the globe, assisting them with restructuring and repurposing their teams and people. Who would you say to date are the most significant clients you worked with, if you're at liberty to share that, and what you're proudest? Career accomplishments are in this respective area. Listen, Adam. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for the great invitation
2: to be a, to be a part of this. I think it's a great first question. You know, with our work across you know nine major sports in five continents. Over the last near decade, you know, we've had a, a, a seen an evolution of the needs of teams and the evolution of the needs of owners in that. Now, if I go back to one of our first clients, I spent most of my career in in European soccer, and I had one coach for nine years, and then I had nine coaches in seven years as a general manager. So I went through the evolution of that space. And one of the things that, you know, I always realized was the constant pain that these owners are in and the the concertina time required to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we came to North America as a business, one of the first things, first clients we had was the San Antonio Spurs, which was the epitome of the opposite, stability, uh, stability and ownership level, general manager in RC Buford, phenomenal coaching, Greg Popovich and that. And you think that this is the normal, but the reality is the average tenure of a coach, general manager in all the major sports now globally is less than three years. Okay, and the time is going down. Uh, con- couple that with also the average tenure of a of a, a general manager and a head coach being less than three years, but also the time to hire being super less than thirty days now for a head coach and general right. managers. Teams and teams and owners have been forced to make quick decisions uh, when, with a shot clock on them that are decisions that have huge impact on what they do on a day to day basis and that. So I think we've had some great experiences, teams like the Spurs who've gone through a lot of changes. We've had some great experiences in, the, in, in big sports like the NBA and soccer, uh, where they've taken their time. And the biggest thing for me, Adam, is getting into, into a place as a franchise and not feeling the reaction and the pressure of people like the media or the pressure of agents or the pressure of external players. And really thinking about a franchise that you want to build. We've never been in a position in the world of sport where the interchangeable aspect of people between sports as well as people from outside of sport coming into it. Now the TAM or the Total Addressable Market for Talent is much,
0: much bigger than a lot of owners think it is. Well, to me, there's less patience than ever before. You talked about the length of stay, the longevity, the tenure that each coach and GM have right now. And it's shrinking because there's more attention focused on their jobs, I think, than ever before. There's more screaming than ever before. There's more panic than ever before. There's less patience than ever before. Is that a function of the society that we're living in and the way the world operates, Mike? Yeah,
2: I think I I go back 25 years ago when I first started in front office. I think it's a great point, Uh, Adam. Yes, there is a, a definite a paradigm shift in in patience as to where or the model of patients and what that means uh if you look at like the, you know the influence of uh, an owner or a gm or a head coach on a day-to-day basis there's multiple sources now from fans from media from ex-players in the media uh to sponsors and commercial partners there's multiple uh noise for people to to sort of manage in that and that puts uh, that that reduces the time or the perception of time to deliver i always use the analogy like you know you go to an ownership group and you say listen it's going to take three years to build this to turn it around and that. And then one february morning you know they're under pressure they lost five games in whatever sport it is or not winning in seven games in a particular sport and they pull up the tree to see if it's still growing and it's like guys we talked about this being a patient thing i think the danger is in that model adam is that people particularly i see it with first-time gms they say, oh, it's going to take four years to rebuild it. Often, you don't have four years. And a lot of the time, in the first three years, there's no there's no indicators of success. And then the, and then the fourth year, they're looking for a hockey stick, right? Yep. Whereas the smart ownership groups and the smart front offices are saying, right, after year one, where should we After year two, where should we be? And you're putting KPIs in place. It's agreed from the ownership down and also by the front office staff that these are the indicators that will measure success over time. Have you
0: worked with any football owners yet, Mike? At all, has anybody come to you for your input and advice and consultation on the direction that they should go? Yeah,
2: no, we've we've been very fortunate. I'll uh, keep—I won't mention names because it's unfair. You know, we've been very blessed uh, in in the NFL to have uh, probably worked with a third of the league. Less so on the executive search, but on the reorganization and the reimagination of what front offices can look like. (laughs) Uh, I think NBA and European soccer, in our experience, is a global business. Uh, Has probably stolen March on the appetite, willingness and uh, capacity to execute on a more global view of what a front office should look like, whether it's taking a, you know, a soccer team, taking someone from the NBA or or an NBA team, taking someone from the NFL. We've seen that sort of shift in an openness into it. Mm -hmm. And what, I, what I'm witnessing now in particularly the NFL is there's a curiosity uh, for the first time in my time in, in, in working in this space about different ways in which we can win and different ways in which we can structure winning. You know, the, Historically, Adam, like you know, if you look at the data, the data over the last few years is let's go and find someone from a winning program yep. who's got a scouting background and make him a number one okay if you actually look at the 10 years of data and success records of teams who have reached a super bowl maybe not won it because it's a one game spin of a coin right at the end of the day uh people often with an analytics background or a cap and contract background have been invariably more successful if you look at win ratio converts compared to to a scout Mm -hmm. now what i'm not saying there is that hey if you're a scout as an agm with no chance of being six no there's case studies there but well, there's an open-minded to several different routes to finding yourself in that leadership role. And how then do you build a business? That's the key.
0: You know, it's funny. It's, you see these teams do it time and time again because a coordinator, offensive, defensive, has success on a winning team. An NFL team goes and hires that particular individual to go be the head coach and face of his organization. And just because he's a great coordinator doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a great head coach, which is why I think sometimes we've seen special teams coordinators be successful head coaches because they're dealing with the whole team rather than a specific unit. But this is the case time and time again. It's such a big, important job in the NFL to be a head coach. And as I've had numerous head coaches tell me over time, you never imagine the scenarios, dilemmas, problems, crises that are going to wind up on your desk on an almost daily basis when you become a head coach. And yet, they're taking somebody that's a successful offensive or defensive play caller, and they're making them the head coach and essentially head man for the organization.
2: Yeah, listen, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great pick up. And I, you know, one of the things for me, Adam, with this is ultimately you have to hire someone. If it's a head coach or a GM, GMs, I think you've got more flexibility. You can create more of a brain trust per se. Yeah. Where someone still has to make a, a final say in '53, someone's going to have final say in the draft and that, and often our collaboration with the owner in any of the major sports and that. But the the paradigm shift for me is, is take the front office. is It's all to me about making better decisions on a more consistent basis. That's the goal. If we put ourselves in a position to use our assets and our our, our opportunity and have more successes and failures, we'll be there or thereabouts over the next two or three years so that this decision making and better decision making is the goal then the question becomes is that how do we aggregate a set of resources people cognitive diversity we call about it that can allow us to have a better decision on a consistent basis as opposed to saying there's a unicorn at the top and they're going to walk in they are going to spread some dust and the decisions are all going to be great you know we've learned time and time again that is not that's not modern sport now Now, when we talk about the the head coach, and again, um, uh, this is a slightly different position, there is a tendency, obviously, to to go with a certain profile. But even when you make a decision on that profile, it's how do you surround them after the press conference with the right type of people, the right type of processes, the right type of communication, that a year from now will decide whether this is successful or not. Uh, You know, the most important thing is picking talent and getting it on the field to give them the best chance of working. You know, I worked with some great coaches and you want to be a good coach get good players you want to be a great coach get great players we've all yep. had them sort of cliches pretty simple but but how do you build both a management team and a coaching staff that's going to give you capacity competitive advantage as you go forward against the problems of the sport and the future problems of the sport because if you're winning and you're at the top history will tell you that the repeatability success is really hard in any major sport So who is coming up behind you and how are they finding competitive advantage in what they do? And some of it is about people, process, structure, organizational
0: design. And I want to also ask you before I let you go, Mike, basically we continually see teams recycle, change up general managers and head coaches. And if you look on average, I think the average it takes for a team to hire a new GM is about 17 days and to hire a new head coach. It's somewhere in the same time period, a couple of weeks, 17 days. How do we get? NFL owners, NFL organizations, off the treadmill to make those hires and to think differently than they have in the past. Yeah, I think I
2: think that's a that's a brilliant question. And the, de- the I think the biggest thing that's in your control. You're not in control of 17 days because the reality is in head coach search, and I've been in several of them in major sports. Half a day is three weeks in the NFL, right? right? If if there's five or seven openings and there's there's one or two talents that are particularly there, you have to make a call right there. So. You can't make a decision in two hours so for me it's about understanding who you are as a business what you need out of that leadership going forward being being scenario planning about different options but more importantly uh being being well researched and well prepared to hit the ground running okay if you're walking in and you're expected to make a decision in two hours for example then you probably missed the biggest opportunity how do you garner information how do you understand who you are as a business first how do you understand the market and the biggest thing that everyone underestimates at the time of, of change is market forces who is available in the moment that i have to make a decision and invariably i've worked with so many owners and they say wow you know the list is really just there's a lot of b's here adam right so what that gives you a sense is well okay if they're all b's none of them are a's that tells us that we have to be super well prepared on the other side of the change to get the mm-hmm. most out of it structure process organizational design complementing people making sure we've got diversity Uh, to make sure we get the most out of the group and then committing to a way of working that will give us a chance to be successful because the danger of, of all of this is that you commit to a root and you plant the tree and you know, it takes time and 18 months up, you pull it up to see if it's still growing and it's dead.
0: Well, Mike, hopefully some NFL owners, some sports executives are listening to your words today because I know that we are about to head into the head hunting season. We are about to head into a time where there are going to be significant changes. There always are. In the NFL, the league averages about 6.7 head coaching changes per year. The GMs are slightly below that, but you're going to see a lot of change and a lot of movement and some of the same mistakes repeated again. So hopefully they hear some of what you're saying today and they take to heart uh, your words of wisdom and they move forward in a different way with a little bit more of an open mind, right? Absolutely.
2: Listen, Adam, thanks again for the invitation to share ideas. Always uh, super passionate about the NFL and the success of it. What a
0: wonderful sport that we're all trying to get right. And there is Mike Ford of Sportsology, the U.S. and European based company that essentially assists sports owners build and restructure their organizations. We appreciate his time. Thank you very much. Before we sign off this week, a couple of fantasy stories to share with you. I love NBA fantasy trades. And when I woke up very, very early in the morning on the West Coast this week, unable to sleep because of the time change, I set out to make my first NBA trade of the season. I wanted to unload my point guard, Kevin Porter, and I submitted offers to five different teams, not knowing if anybody would take one of those offers for Kevin Porter. And about 12 hours later, when I sat down to do NFL Live from Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, all of a sudden, an alert popped into my phone that one of my trade offers went through. And I had no idea which one. I looked down, and it turns out that Matthew Harrington, a producer at ESPN, accepted my offer of Kevin Porter and the Knicks center, Mitchell Robinson, for Robert Williams, the Celtic center, who I've had on my team each of the past years, who I love. I love the Time Lord. Well, so there's the trade, right? Kevin Porter and Mitchell Robinson for Robert Williams. And the NBA games start on Monday night. I've never seen this happen before. And all of a sudden, I get an alert. Robert Williams, knee string hurt. And I went, I can't believe. I just trade for this guy, and he gets hurt. And then I get an alert that Mitchell Robinson, he hurt himself. He's out of the game. And then I get an alert later in the night that Kevin Porter hurt his thigh. All three players traded that afternoon, all got hurt Monday night. When has that ever happened in fantasy? And that was the start of my fantasy day where after halftime, when me, Booger McFarlane, Susie Culbert stand on the field, deliver a little halftime report, went back to my hotel, uh, the Hyatt, overlooking Levi's Field. Now, this was really interesting because I'm in this fantasy league where last night on my team, I went into the game about 40 points down, and I had Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Elijah Mitchell all playing last night. Now, in my hotel room, it was obviously ahead of the TV broadcast by about 10 seconds. So, all of a sudden, every time the 49ers score in Levi Stadium, you hear this loud foghorn go off. Every time they score. Well, I'd be in my hotel room, and all of a sudden, there's the foghorn. And I said to myself, wow, it's like a sneak preview of what's going to happen. Well, later in the game, the score was tied. It was about 83, 83, in my fancy league. And the 49ers had the ball at about the 30 yard line. And I hear the foghorn and I said, what just happened? And I waited and I sat back and there was my guy, Debo Samuel coming up with the 30 yard touchdown reception to pull out the victory, which I had a sense might be coming. I just didn't know who was going to score. But I heard the foghorn, and I knew that something was coming down the pike. Thankfully, it was a Debo Samuel touchdown to make my team prevail on Monday Night Football. So I want to thank Debo Samuel for that. want to thank Gotham Chopra for joining us today. Wish him luck on his new ESPN Plus series, Man in the Arena, Tom Brady. I can tell you that will be appointment viewing in our household tonight. And this week. I want to thank Mike Ford for taking the time to shed some insight onto how football organizations or really any sports organization or maybe any organization at all should think about moving ahead into the future. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting together this podcast yet again. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week, We'll be back with more insights, information, analysis, whatever it may be. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.